This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White. Not the greatest week in Argyle history as we follow up a 1-0 defeat at Hillsborough with the news of Michael Cooper's season-ending injury. Joining me again this week are the core three. Joe Bell, how are you? I would have hearing of high ho silver lining. Uh, Sam Down, good to be among the 2,700 at Hillsborough on Saturday. 3,700, wasn't it? But yes. It was good to be among the 3,700 at Hillsborough on Saturday, yes. It was um, not so good to watch that first half uh, and indeed the second half, but I got uh, got quite fed up with the first half in particular. I don't think we played at our best. I know I said that, you know, um, if we lose, it will be only by a goal or so, and that was right. But there was uh, a lot about the performance that wasn't great, which I'm sure we'll get into. And obviously, John Allsop. Good pie on Saturday. And it's pie ho, silver lining. That sounds poisonous, actually, if you had a pie with silver lining in it. Pie was actually extremely good, I thought. Um, like, you know, fair play to them. Like, I've developed a searing hatred of Sheffield Wednesday football club since 3pm on Saturday but uh, that pie was very very good a championship pie at least and I'm sure it will be a, a championship pie next season I'm looking forward to my repayment at, at Oxford or, or Peterborough uh, for getting you that before we get going it's an absolute madness to hear that we've been nominated for a best of 2022 award it's even more mad when we only did like three pods last year uh, run by the real EFL and lower league look so thanks to whoever nominated us for that. That wasn't actually me, so that's good. If you fancy voting for us too, it's easy to find on Twitter. Just search at Lower League Look. And yeah, maybe we could snatch a, an award of some kind. I can't imagine we will, but... It's Steel City v Ocean City. It's North v South. It's First v Second. It's Yorkshire Pudding v Cornish Pasty. We'll get into the loss of Cooper in a bit, and I feel John and Joe might have to do a bit more talking. Uh, on the ref. So I think, Sam, you should run us through Saturday's loss at Hillsborough first. Yes, indeed. Um, I think I said on the podcast, I certainly said pre-match, that I hope we go 3-5-2 again. Uh, 3-4-3, whilst it does work very much in some games against the lower mid-east teams in the league, even in home games against the, the stronger teams in the league, it does not have a very good track record in games away to the bigger teams. No, excuse me, I think I'm coming down with what you've got, Aaron. It does not have a very good track record in games against the bigger teams. Um, with regard to, people would say, yes, we've not lost many games, but the reason we've not lost many is we've done better when we've changed away from that formation. Uh, in, the, in the Pompey and Derby games, we were losing, and then when we moved away from the formation, we turned it around. Um, in the Ipswich game, we then changed to the formation, went 1-0 down, changed back and equalised. And... Unfortunately, Saturday was the one time we were caught by it. We started 3-4-3. I don't claim to know better than Stephen Schumacher about football, but all great managers have their blind spots. And I wonder if that possibly might be might be one, might be one of his. Um, we started 3-4-3. Sheffield Wednesday had much more control in midfield. Um, certainly for the first 45 minutes, we, we were very much overran in midfield. Um, I don't think we got our foot on the ball. Um, we even, even when we did get on the ball, it was... It, it was Seemingly, they closed off all the passing lanes. There was no way through. We just weren't able to 
use space very well, which was leading to frustration, leading to poor decisions, leading to a lot of aimless long balls from our centre-backs. It would kind of be the midfield and pass it around, realise there was nothing really on, go back to the centre-backs who would hoof it up and rinse and repeat, which was not a very enjoyable pattern to watch. Um, we we kind of we went in 1-0 down, which is probably about fair. I'm not going to say we should have gone in more than 1-0 down because Wednesday didn't have that many chances, but we were we were poor and we deservedly went in losing. Um, we came out in the second half, certainly better. Still didn't create a whole lot of that. Cosgrove chance was probably our best chance of the half um, that sort of rippled sort of wide, just, just narrowly from an angle. Um, and I think Hardy had a, a, a kind of half decent one, but, but again, nothing to really write home about. But the second half was better. We had a lot more control in the midfield when we put Zaz on um, and Ben Wayne, unfortunately, uh, we were better when he came off. Not necessarily his fault, but just the fact he was so isolated due to no being able to get on the ball. He ran a lot, but well, didn't get the ball down. I think he didn't touch the ball in their entire penalty box the whole first half, which is not what you want from a striker. So, yeah, definitely better second half. But there was a lot about that performance that I wasn't really happy with. Um, you, you people may say, oh, you know, we went to a very good team and only lost one there. Well, that in itself is fine. You're not going to fail to win every game, but we we didn't really give them a game. Like if the Ipswich game, if Mumba hadn't scored that, I would have lost one. There, I'd have come out of the Ipswich game saying, fair enough, we lost. But you know. Can't fault the performance, really. But with that game, we very much uh, can fault the performance. It wasn't great. Uh, it wasn't our best. And I just hope that we learn from it for the, for the games against Peterborough away and Barnsley away. And we don't play 3-4-3 in those games because it does not have a good track record in that kind of game, to be honest with you. More more hot air in Sam than a Chinese spy balloon tonight. <laughs> very topical <laughs> reference. Go on. I enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> you muted yourself rather than laughing. Can't do that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> went, went down like a lead balloon. Um, <laughs> Christ. Um, I think, so I, I don't really agree with Sam much on this, to be honest. Um, I think, yeah, first half, you can say that we weren't great. I think that would be a fair assessment, but like, I don't think we were poor. Um, and obviously, you know, came off the back of a, a triple whammy of conceding a very early goal and then having our two... I would argue most important players, certainly in you know in a defensive capacity, come off injured one after the other. I think any team would would be reeling from that. Um, I felt, yeah, I, I, I agree with Sam a bit on the tactics. Um, I certainly you know impute no blame to to the Wayne train for his lackluster performance. I mean, we were pinging balls up towards him. He was about half the height, half the height of Aidan Flint, the Sheffield Wednesday centre back. Um, and I think when he actually received a ball, kind of you know below six foot seven in the air, he did pretty well and, and actually held the ball up quite nicely on occasion. So I'm not going to blame him for that. Um, but yeah, I think I, I agree with Sam. It was the wrong system. But once again, you know, Shuey changed it. I thought we were much more dangerous and, and threatening in the second half. And I think we went admirably toe-to-toe with them. Um, so yeah, a lot to talk about that wasn't the performance, but I guess that would be my assessment of the performance. By by no means a disaster. And yeah, just one of those games where we came out on the on the wrong side of what was a fairly even game. Didn't think I'd say this, but I agree with John. Um, I think Sam's assessment is a touch on the knee-jerk side, I think. Um, I understand where he's coming from with his points of view. Um, the first half wasn't really a contest. I think we can all accept that. Um, I think, you know, we were naive if we didn't expect Sheffield Wednesday to come out and throw the kitchen sink at all us in the first 15 minutes because... Anything other than that and the 30,000 at Hills were returned on their side. Um, we give away as poor a goal as we've given away in weeks and months. Um, you know, very similar to Portsmouth away. We just switch off from a throw-in and we just let a man get free in the box. Um, it's just very poor. Um, from that point in, it's just wave after wave of us giving away possession and them coming straight back at us. Um I'm going to reference something in the first half a little bit later, which I'm sure Aaron's really looking forward to. And then second half, you know, <clears throat> fair play to Schumacher. He accepted that his selection was incorrect. I felt sorry for Ben Wayne. Um, he was set an almost impossible task. Whether or not that was actually the team's instructions or whether or not we just weren't carrying out the game plan, I'm not sure. Um, but in the second half, I found it very odd that we then brought Cosgrove and Hardy on 
And all of a sudden we started playing it to feet and into the channels. And yeah, we had a perfect man flat in the first half and we, we didn't do it. Um, but the second half changes made a real difference. I felt we were the better side in the second half. Um, we got ourselves into some glorious positions. You had the Cosgrove one over the bar. You had the Mumba one past the post. You had the one where Azaz plays a delightful ball over the top to Hardy and Cosgrove can't quite get his feet sorted at the near post. Yeah, and there's the I one think we're where talking Hardy... about the, same, the same one, Joe, where they played it over the top to Tyreek Wright and the referee decided... No, not that reason. One. Oh, well, I was going for the one where there was a beautiful ball over the top to Tyreek Wright and because one of their players pulled up, the referee gave it as a foul or offside or I don't know what, but I'm getting ahead of myself. That, well, that one was in the first John. half, wasn't it? No, it was in the second oh, half. No, it was, it was down our end. It was down our end in front of us. It was the first half. That was the second half, Sam. Oh, of course it was. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I'm I'm losing the plot. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. I can uh, Go on. <laughs> Sam, do you need to re, like, re-record your assessment of which half we were good in or not based on what way you think the teams were shooting? It seems like you haven't... I, no, no, no. I My assessment is broadly correct. I just had a, a, a dim moment. Yes, you're right. My apologies. The, the, the Tyreek right chance that everyone seems to forget where he actually did get free on the left-hand side and he got to the byline and they just got a man back to block the cross and we got a corner out of it. You know, that was a really good situation because if you look across the penalty box, we had at least three bodies in the box um, and we just couldn't get the ball across. Um, having said that, I thought Sheffield Wednesday were incredibly effective on the counter-attack second half. I don't know why they changed to that style of play in the second half because they were causing more than enough threat in the first half doing what they were doing. Um, for me, they're the most aggressive front-footed team we've played all season. Um, I do think they will now go on and win the division and good luck to them. Um, we, were, we were getting some interesting chat as we left the ground on Saturday um, about how they were going up to the championship and all that nonsense. And yeah, all right, but we're going to join you. So get used to it because this isn't a fixture that's going away anytime soon. Um, <clears throat> I've no complaint. We'll come on to the goal that was disallowed in a bit. Um, but had that game finished 2-0 I wouldn't have complained at the result because actually I'm firmly in the camp that yes the second half was an improvement and yes it gave us a lot to be taking forward into this weekend's game I don't think we deserved anything out of it I think there's only so far that fight and spirit and courage can get you but we just lack quality Saturday for whatever reason whether it was the occasion whether or not it was Sheffield Wednesday nullifying our threats we just weren't at it in an attacking sense. Um, we haven't said that very often. And as we've already touched on, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but Stephen Schumacher did get his team selection wrong. Um, but the second half was what we've got to take out of it. It's pointless dwelling too much on the first half. You've just got to take the second half. You've got to look at that, take that into this week's game. We finally had questions from Twitter. So even though we've, we've basically answered I'm going to ask them anyway, just to encourage more questions. So I have to write less questions. That's how you win a, a lower league award for podcasting. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Andros from Twitter says, uh, was Shuey at fault for the result? I.e. the poor initial lineup, Wayne starting when we all knew it was a game that would suit Cosgrove, plus Randall being dropped. And Kenny comes along with a similar question, so I'll just ask both. Is it something that Shuey needs to work on as a young manager? It's not the first time in this season where it hasn't worked out in the first half. Uh, I'll take that one on. Um, in answer to Andros's question about was Shuey at fault for the result? No, he wasn't. Callum Paston's six-minute strike was responsible for the result. Um, and in relation to the second point about Schumacher learning as a young manager, yes, he's going to learn every game. This is his first job in football. He's not the second coming of Jesus Christ. He, you know, He's not going to get it right every week. But let's also look at the positives. That was John that. Carver. John Carver. Let, get me back on track. Look, let's look at the positive point of the second uh, question. Yes, okay, Schumacher may well have, first half performances may not have been great this season. Look at the points and goals that we've been getting off the bench. And that's just testament to this squad. It's not, you know, I actually think we have quite a few players who are just effective off the bench. Two of them came on on Saturday and made a real difference. So I don't think we should be looking at the negative side of all of this. Um, I do think that's quite knee-jerky, personally, but that's my point of view. I would kind of um, partly agree with that, certainly to the point that no one's perfect. I think he's 
he he's done he's done such an incredible job this season. He he has allowed the odd mistake, and I think even if we said there are a few flaws in the way he sets up the start games, those are more than made up for how brilliantly he reacts to changes within games. I think he is the single best manager at this but one specific thing since I've been a fan. We won't start the whole best manager chat again, but I think he is the best manager at the very one specific thing of reacting to changes in game. I don't think anybody constantly re- changes games in our favour with their substitutions, with their tactical adjustments, quite as well as Schumacher does. Um, obviously, with, with that, that, that does sometimes mean that sometimes he's maybe correcting mistakes he's made. Possibly, yes. But I think overall, if you look at it on a balance sheet, we're certainly in credit with the decision he's made um, and in credit enormously. So um, all of that said, I am still frustrated about the team's not just the formation, but also certain personnel. Um, I don't see why we couldn't have had Hardy first half to run them into the ground and then maybe waiting to bring on second half uh, when they've already had tired legs. That would have been better. Um, I don't really don't see why Randall wasn't playing. I think Randall um, hasn't played for, well, he hasn't played for two games now. The Cheltenham game, yes, okay. That could have just been a rest and rotate. He's played a lot of minutes, but I think you play your best players in the biggest games. And I think with Tete and Randall, are our two best CMs. And I think he'd had such a good season. He would have been very disappointed to miss out. And I think um, even in the Cheltenham game, even though we brought and played pretty well, scored four goals, served the win, even in the Cheltenham game, and certainly again in the Sheffield Wednesday game, I felt we missed his composure. We missed his calmness on the ball in midfield. And I think the sooner Randall's back in, the better we'll be. And I hope it starts against Pompey. I understand Schumacher's um, insistence on playing Houghton over Randall for big games due to his experience. But I think now Randall has just surpassed Houghton. Like at the start of the season, I would have been all for it. Now, if, you, if you're going to rest out, if you're going to rest Randall against Cheltenham, you play him against Wednesday. That's, you know, he's arguably been one of, if not. Can I just quickly jump in? in the, while we're on the subject, before we change altogether about team selection, I can totally understand why Steven Schumacher went with the team we went with on Saturday. When I saw that team list, I could totally understand what we were going to try and do. We had the pace up front with Azaz, Wayne, Tyreek Wright. You had the pace at the, from the likes of Mumba, et cetera, on the pitch. So I, get, I could understand all of that because it was clear we were going to try and hit them as hard as we could on the counterattack. It just didn't work. And these plans don't always come off. We've had tactical moments this season where we've all sat there and thought, yeah, he's a bloody genius. But this is just one of the rare occasions where it hasn't happened. But I didn't actually have a problem with the selection. I can understand if that's how it actually played out. But to me, I asked a couple of weeks ago and got shot down a question about, are we pumping too many long balls forward? We played 84 long balls. Only 37% of those were successful. Obviously, Aidan Flint knocked everything back at us. If we're playing counter-attacking football, that's fine. We had the pace to do it. We just didn't do it. I think um I think the weird thing about Saturday's game is lots of things can be true at once about it. Like I could see the case that we deserve to lose, but we weren't bad. Um equally, you know, I can see a case for Shuey having messed up the team selection, but I can also understand Joe's point you know as to why he went with that selection. And yeah, if you're gonna play long balls, you think you would start Cosgrove for that, but like I uh personally, you know, before the game was saying I viscerally hope Cosgrove doesn't start today because I think we'll just pump long balls up towards him and it'll be useless. So you know, what do I know? I think it's also true, like, this game kind of exists on two planes, right, I think. Like, on the one hand, you know, we're level on points at the top of the league now, albeit with them having a game in hand. We're going toe-to-toe with them. We beat them earlier in the season. We're talking about it in those terms. Also, like, they're just better than us. Very simply, they have better players than us. The idea that we're competitive with this lot on a points-to-points uh, basis is absolutely insane. And I think that probably answers the Schumacher point in a broader you know, in a more rounded way. Yeah, I think he probably did get aspects of his team selection wrong, certainly in hindsight. But ultimately, the guy has got us competitive with what I think is is the best team in the league, player for player. Some people would say Ipswich or, or Derby. I think Sheffield Wednesday have. For me, the, the, the three of them would finish highest in the championship if you just plonk them all in there right now. Um, I think they played disgraceful football on Saturday for a club that have that much talent I think kicking lumps out of the other team and, and playing unimaginative you know direct football is is a disgrace and I would probably not be very happy with it if I was a fan of theirs although obviously they are top of the league so maybe I'm just being catty but um 
they were certainly not, you know, I think we're better than them in terms of, you know, I'd much rather have a season ticket at home park, uh, even rather have a season ticket at Portman Road or, or the iPro, whatever it's called these days. Um, the the go into administration and then buy your way back into the championship immediately arena. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Wednesday are better than us, just pound for pound. They're better players. Um, and, and that can't, you, you can't not factor that into what happened on Saturday. I think we just ran up against a team that are incredibly well drilled. Again, I wouldn't play the way they do if I was their manager. I think they, they can aspire to better with the players they've got, but they've got great players. And and part of the reason Ben Wayne did nothing because he was running around against a championship, you know, seven foot one championship centre half. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very well said. John summed it up very well that we can look at it on like a macro and a micro. On the, on the smaller level, yes, Schumacher got it wrong, but on the bigger level, how brilliant we're doing to even be competitive as a club with far better resources and, if I'm honest, probably better players as well. Yeah, I've not watched much of the game back, but I have watched back Callum Patterson's goal about 50 times and I still don't really understand how he's, how he's finished that. Like, it, looked, it looked bad in, real, in, in the stadium. It looked like he sort of scuffed it. And I wasn't really sure how it had gone in, but it's so class when you watch it back on, on the TV replay. The swivel is unreal. It's a fantastic goal. Uh, and again, he's a championship player. I think like most of their, most of their lot um, are, in my opinion. Before we get on to the exciting stuff of a ref watch, yeah. let's, um, let's go to the, the, dis- the depressing stuff. Uh, obviously, news today announced that Cooper will miss the rest of the season. Yet to hear back on Dan Scar's injury, but... Um, they say no news is good news, but I feel like that might not be the case here. Um, is missing those two the worst possible outcome from the trip to Hillsborough? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think we can all agree. And I think the fact that it happened the very game after the transfer window closed, it's just the unluckiest possible outcome. Because if it had happened one week earlier, we could have maybe brought another keeper in. Not that I don't trust Burton, but just another keeper for more depth and competition. If it had happened later that's fewer and fewer games you have to do without him. So it, I think it was if you could pick any any single game in the calendar you wouldn't want Cooper to have gone off injured in, it was that one. So that, I think that, that's terribly bad luck, but we get the hand we're dealt with. And I really hope Burton can, can, can prove himself. And I hope that if Scar's injured, it's Bolton or Longwike or whoever comes in can prove themselves. Um, I think it is really bad news for promotion. Um, I, 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 I hate to be the, the misery guts again, but... I think it's a game-changing uh, development in the story of the season, just in the sense that Burton may very well be a competent League One keeper. He may well even be an above-average League One keeper. I don't know. I've not seen enough of him to form a firm opinion. I think he's been decent in the bits I've seen here and there, but I, I, I've not seen enough. But I'm kind of digressing. The point. He's almost taken us to a trophy final. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure that comment's designed to wind up someone in here that's not me, but we'll move on from that. So, look, I, look he, he, he may well be decent. It, it's, the, it's the point I'm making. The point I'm leading on to with that is this. Even if he is a decent, solid, perfectly serviceable League One keeper, Mike Cooper is far better than that. Mike Cooper saves shots that I think many keepers in this league wouldn't even get near to. He wins those games by himself. It, it is what Mike Cooper does. I think last season we were a solid team. Would we have got anywhere near 80 points if if Cooper wasn't playing in goal, if it was just sort of an average League One keeper? I don't think so. Would we be anywhere near the points we're on now if Cooper wasn't playing in goal? Again, I don't think so. I think as good a team as we are, that's not to say we're not a good team. Cooper is just worth 10 to 15 points a season. He is that good. And yes, okay, half season's gone already. So, you know, we've already got some of those points back. I appreciate that. But I think for the remaining part of the season, in those big all or nothing games, those crucial moments when we have a, you know, a corner go into the box, like that Walton one for Ipswich and someone gets the head on it. Is anyone else going to make those unbelievable saves Cooper does? I'm not sure. I hope I'm wrong. But I, I think that's the, the worst use we could have got, uh, really. And, and Scar as well has probably been our outfield player of the season. So it's a double blow. And I just really hope they can step up, but I think we are going to suffer. That's my view. I'll do the uh, the silver linings uh, playbook or whatever. Um, first of all, you asked, you know, you asked what the worst case scenario would have been. The worst case scenario would have been that their players crocked Azaz and Matete as well with the full encouragement of the referee. Um, that didn't happen, so that's good. I think that there's been obviously a very big show of support for Burton on social media and, and obviously the fans gave him a huge ovation when he came on. I think that's fantastic. Obviously, the club are making noises in the media that they're really confident in him. But I think it's, I think we do need to take a second to say that he was really, really good on Saturday when he came on. He, he wasn't really tested um, in terms of having to make a save and obviously Cooper did make that 
absolutely unreal save at 1-0, tipping it onto the post, which is probably one of those Burton wouldn't have made. I think Sam's right about that. But, you know, Cooper's game is not just about those saves. It is about what he does with his feet for us in terms of turning the play over. It is about his throwouts. I thought Burton did that as well as Cooper on Saturday. Um, he was and he, you know, coming on in an extremely febrile atmosphere, um, home fans on his back. That, that you know, c- coming on for a player he knows full well is the best keeper in the league and he, he's not going to stand up to that. I think that that deserves a big round of applause. And it gives me a degree of confidence that, like, we're not going to be totally at sea without him, that, you know, we're not welcoming Paul Rachovka into the goal. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a proper actual keeper who's been trained how to play, how to play in the style of the team. Um, uh, that, that, that being said, I, I guess the other, the other reason to be cheerful, which I'll do just quickly, is that we've got our hardest games out of the season out of the way now, by and large. Um, you know, we've played, I believe, all of the other members of the top six twice, apart from Derby and Barnsley, who are to come. Uh, I think, I think that's, I think I'm right in saying that. Obviously, played our, our most direct rivals, Derby, arguably, in that category now, but we played the other two twice. Um, and and yeah, and and also you know accumulated an enormous amount of points that like we can we can probably slow down a bit and still go up automatically. So I don't want to say it's all over, but yeah, the flip side is that Sam is probably right. I kind of, I kind of bristle at this kind of logic a little bit. As Sam knows full well that I think sort of like XG based analysis etc can kind of sometimes make it sound like you're not very good just because you've got a good keeper. The keeper is one of the team. You know we we trained and developed that goalkeeper. It's he's an asset. To our team, he is part of the team. I don't think you can just kind of say, you know, oh, well, we, we bailed out by our keeper. The keeper is there to do that. He's a member of the team and should be judged on the same terms as as the others. If a striker does a good finish, you don't sort of say you're being bailed out by your striker. So I think I think sometimes there can be a kind of perverse logic to that. But he is the best player in the side. And, and you know, just like if you lost your best player in the side in any other position on the pitch, that's going to have it's going to have a huge impact. Um, and I, I think law of averages would dictate that that will have a point impact between now and the end of the season. So certainly not out of it. I'm probably not going to be as pessimistic as Sam, but it's, um, it's, it's gutting news and it's gutting for him as well. Cause he deserved a full run to the end of the season and, and a promotion for his efforts. But um, yeah. And then on scar, hard to comment if we don't know exactly the, the, the kind of um, severity of it, obviously he has had injuries before and come back, you know, fairly quickly. So I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that scar will be out for the season. When I just don't know Cooper, it, it seemed pretty obvious straight away based on the noises out of the club that he would be he'd be gone for the season. Scar, that's not the case. But yeah, obviously, as I've said on this podcast before, a huge player for us and someone who I don't think we've got a direct replacement for in, in the squad. Sounds like we were maybe close to signing one in January. Didn't for whatever reason. Maybe it was just kind of fluffy rumors on the internet. But yeah, that you know, I don't. Every time he's not played, I haven't felt very confident in the person who's, who's switched into the middle to accommodate him. So, um, we'll see. Obviously, that's a separate conversation. If and when we need it, I'd, I would probably be tempted to put Gillespie in there. I think he's the most reliable of the other centre backs that we've got. It's not a Scar, and and obviously Burton, as much as he was very good on Saturday, is not is not Mike Cooper. Um, I'll keep my points on this as brief as possible. Um, so. The news about Cooper is heartbreaking for him. Um, I mean, what an amazing thing it would have been for him to have been on the pitch after everything that we've gone through the last couple of years. If we are to win promotion, it would be an amazing thing. Now, unfortunately, we're going to see him hobble on with a knee brace on, um, which would be pretty sad. But, you know, let's hope we can do it for him. Um, In terms of Callum Burton, um, there's a... Chris Errington has alerted us all this evening to a really unerring air of deja vu to the 2003-2004 season when Roman Lario tore his ACL and had to be replaced by an untested backup in Luke McCormick. Um, and we all know how that ended up with promotion and Luke going on to make hundreds of appearances for the football club. The difference between the Lario slash McCormick and Cooper slash Burton incidents is that... Um, Lario did his very early in the season and McCormick had the whole year to get into the side, get used to it all and and get his surroundings and what have you. Callum Burton actually may well be in a better position in the respect that we've already got 61 points on the board. There's an air of pressure been taken off of him in the respect that we've already done, in theory, two thirds of the work already. He's now just coming in and carrying on Michael Cooper's job, whereas McCormick had to build that himself when he came into the side. Very quickly, just finishing off my point, in terms of Dan Scar, 
we've coped with this already this season. Um, we've already missed him for a period of the season. Actually, didn't we go unbeaten while he was out the side? I know performances weren't necessarily great from a defensive point of view while he was out the side, but we have proved we can cope with him. Um, whether or not people listening to this are going to turn their nose up to what I'm about to say, I don't care. Um, I also think it's a touch of luck that Brendan Galloway has resumed full training in the week that Dan Sky has picked up an injury. So we lose one, but we gain one. Um, and actually, when fit, we know how good Brandon Galloway can be. Um, so it's not the end of the world. It's heartbreaking for Cooper. It's heartbreaking for Scar because he came in and made a real difference again to the back line. Um, but look, these things happen in a promotion season. Two thirds of the work's done. Now we've just got to carry it on. If all else fails, we just have to score six every week. On the subject of parallels, who won the Premier League in, in that 2003-04 season that we went up? I don't want to mention it, John. I don't want to mention it. Coming home, that's what I'm saying. The booze cruise is still on track at the moment. So, staying on, Cooper, for one last question, do we think that's the last we see of Cooper in an Argyle shirt? No. Uh, if only because I think this will scupper a sale. I think he won't be fully fit, uh, probably till after pre-season starts. And I think clubs looking to sign a first-choice keeper will be less inclined to take the gamble. Uh, so, no, I think he, I think he stays next season. I think if anything, we're clever here, right? We do a Galloway in the fact that we say, look, you're, you're crocked, mate, you're going nowhere. Sign a, sign a big contract. Sign the contract, big boy, as the meme goes. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't even need to be a big contract. Just a twelve-month extension through to twenty twenty-five, because next year is going to be yeah. pretty stop-start. Next year is going to be pretty stop-start for him. So if we can tie him down to twenty twenty-five, which personally, again, not knowing Michael Cooper personally, um, but I don't think we'll have any issues in tying him down for another extension when he knows that we are currently doing what's right by him with his recovery, etc., and all the way through his career, we have done what's right by him. Um, I don't think we'll have any problems sorting that out. I, I would agree now. I, I, I wouldn't have really agreed with that before we got injured. I would agree now. But I think with, with the caveat would be we would need to throw a little sweetener of, you know, here's a reasonable buyout fee. If anyone bids this, then, then you can go. And it would have to be a, you know, a reasonable fee, not like, you know, you know, five million, six million, anything like that. It would have to be like a reasonable figure that both parties would find, a, you know, an agreeable compromise. I think if we offer him a one-year extension with a reasonable buyout fee, then I think there's a fair chance he would extend in that scenario, yeah. Just really quickly, obviously the second pod in a row in which Adam Parks gets a mention. Obviously he's injured at the moment. Sam, just really quickly, you seem to know better than I did, just really quickly run us through why we cannot sign any potential emergency loan. Yes, certainly. So emergency loans for goalkeepers require special dispensation from the, from the I don't know if it's the FA or the Football League, but from, from a regulatory body. I, I think it's the EFL. Um, the circumstances that can be done are if there are no fit professional goalkeepers who have played a certain number of games. I believe that number is 15. I, I can't actually seem to find it on Google, but I, I know that the rule doesn't exist. I believe that number is 15. So in that scenario, as long as Callum Burton remains fit, we cannot sign a goalkeeper on loan. We would obviously be certainly more than welcome to sign a free agent goalkeeper as it's outside the transfer window, but we could not sign a goalkeeper on loan whilst Callum Burton remains fit. If Callum Burton were to then become injured, in that scenario, we absolutely could get special dispensation to sign a goalkeeper. Even if, my understanding of it is, even if Adam Parks is fit, he's, I think, not played any EFL games, or he's maybe played one EFL game. He's not played enough EFL games that he would qualify for us not to be able to sign one. So if Burton and Cooper are both injured, we can sign a lonely. If either one or both of them is fit, we cannot. Parks, nice. Uh, I reckon we should do a Wickham and bring in uh, Jeff Crodgington on a free. <laughs> was, that, was that Wickham or was that Stevenage where Dave Best was on their bench in the playoffs at age fifty-five? I'm talking about the. Uh, I'm talking about the infamous Perry Richardson game. Oh yeah, sorry, I, I should have realised that. Well, Stevenage had Dave Best on the bench when he was fifty-five, and if he'd have come on, it would have made him the oldest ever uh, footballer in the EFL. Sadly, didn't happen. For listeners uh, too young to remember, I believe it was the twenty. 15-16 season when we played Wickham at home park and lost 1-0. Uh, they had similar keeper issues to, to what we do now in terms of lack of fitness and their substitute goalkeeper was their 46-year-old goalkeeping coach, Barry Richardson, who ended up having to come on uh, after about 15 minutes, if I remember correctly. And uh, we lost that game 1-0 and barely had a shot on target. And uh, he was 46. Right, on to the good stuff. 
I think I think Joe's ready to go. We'll, we'll save John. We'll save you for 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 a minute or two. I'm just going to let Joe and John do their thing here because I think I can't word it any better than they can. So unless I'm asked for, I should shut up there and let them do their thing. Exactly right, Joe. It says a lot when both sides think the ref was abysmal, right? It does, um, and uh, I know that there are a large portion of Sheffield Wednesday fans who are going to be tuning into this just to hear what we say about the referee. Um, And I should caveat it by saying what I'm about to say had absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the end result, that Sheffield Wednesday were the better side. They thoroughly deserve the three points and so forth. However, just because the referee had no bearing on the actual result of the game does not exempt him or his team of officials from criticism. And I had this discussion with somebody on the way home from Sheffield on Saturday, that just because we lost 1-0 and didn't create a great amount doesn't mean that we can't talk about the referee. I've been watching football since I was a wee lad. I don't think I've ever seen a set of officials like the ones that we had on Saturday. From perceived championship level officials it doesn't fill me with much confidence. I mean, you can go through the incidents. First half, bear in mind in the away end, you're behind the goal, so you don't get a great picture of it, you don't get a great view of it. Josh Windass found himself in glorious isolation on more than three or four occasions. Now, surely that can't just be because we can't play the offside trap. Two or three of them looked gravely suspect. In the first half, he let a hell of a lot go. On both sides, it wasn't just in Argyle, against Argyle, it was on both sides, he let an awful lot go. Second half, <clears throat> he just came out and for whatever reason, in the first 10 minutes, gave us everything. No matter how soft, no matter how harsh, or whatever Sheffield Wednesday fans felt it was, he gave us everything. And it seemed to me that he was trying to balance what he hadn't given in the first half, which is a big no-no. Then you have the incident where we get a free kick in the centre of the field. One of our players then flies in because he didn't hear the whistle to win the ball. And then a great big fracas ensues. Every man, his cat and his dog is surrounding each other, pushing and shoving in the middle of the field. And he books nobody. How can you not have control of that situation? I don't understand it. And then we come to that wonderful incident where Finazaz plays a delightful ball over the top. Tyreek Wright is about three yards behind Callum Patterson. Callum Patterson goes down on a heap on the edge of the Sheffield Wednesday box. The linesman then decides to raise his flag. We all think initially that he's given a foul. I look across to see the offside flag is raised. Okay, he's offside. Well, hang on a minute. He's come from behind Callum Patterson to get past him, so it can't be offside. And then they restart play in exactly the same position where Callum Patterson's gone to ground. What the bloody hell's going on? He didn't clamp down on the time wasting at any point during the game from Sheffield Wednesday, which was poor to say the least the amount of time they were taken out of the game, those silly little moments where you pick the ball up, you carry it a few yards, you drop it, you kick it away when it goes out for a throw-in. You've got to be hot on that. And then, and this is what I tried to explain to Sheffield Wednesday fans, you come on to the second goal. Now, according to the offside rule, Lee Gregory is stood in an offside position. I don't think anyone says that's up for debate. And whether or not Callum Burton actually is going to get to that is, is, is irrelevant because Gregory is stood in an offside position. Does he really make a play for the ball? I'm not sure he does, if I'm being brutally honest. They wheel away in celebration. Linesman and referee are having none of it. The linesman looks at the big screen, sees the replay, and then <laughs> decides he thinks it's offside. I have never, ever, ever known anything like it in my life. And the fact, and what makes it worse, I'm almost done. What makes it worse is the referee was so poor, guess what? He's been rewarded with two championship games in the next four days. Isn't that fantastic? I I just couldn't believe what we were seeing on Saturday. I mean, the second goal for Sheffield Wednesday just summed it all up. That is as bad a decision I think I've ever witnessed at a football stadium. And then, of course, you get the one that's on Twitter 
that the Sheffield Wednesday fan um, has taken from at the side of the goal, where the ball gets cushioned down, there's about three defenders behind the lad and they judge him offside. I mean, I had a Sheffield Wednesday fan say to me when I left the ground on Saturday, did the ref help you out enough? Well, no, I don't think he did, if truth be told. But he didn't do Sheffield Wednesday any favours either. And for a top-end League One clash between the perceived two best teams of the division in front of 33,000, I thought him and his officials were dreadful, utterly dreadful, and shouldn't be anywhere near a game of that magnitude ever again. Pathetic. End of rant for this week anyway. So just to confirm, you're definitely for VAR in League One. <laughs> I have look, I I will just say this. In fact, no, I won't just say this, but I will say this to start with. Uh, what I will say to start with is that Joe, as, as frequent listeners will know, is, is liable to come on this podcast and rant about referees. And I think you can go back and check the uh, the tapes that I am not particularly liable to do that. Um, so, so I think you know, and, and, and I'm not saying Joe's wrong about this. Of course, I, I don't think I'm someone who who is liable to come on and, and blame the referee. And again, to be clear, I don't think. Bizarrely, you know, I don't actually think the referee managed to impact the, the overall result of the game, which is quite remarkable. Crazy. That's the crazy thing about all this, John. In amongst the clown act that he was and the circus freak show that was going on from the officials, they actually ended up having no bearing on which way the points went. That that actually takes some doing. It was, it was, it was. So again, I think this is not something I would usually... Uh, this is not something I usually am massively attuned to. I thought it was embarrassing and shambolic uh, and a disgrace, frankly, that a, a top-end League One game has been refereed to that standard. Amateurish. Um, we'll start with the disallowed... I'll kind of go in reverse order to Joe a little bit. We'll start with the, the disallowed goal for Sheffield Wednesday. For me, it's the correct decision. Um, I understand that you know there might be some contention about that. For me, he's interfering with player and offside. However, if... If it is true that they have given that based on a review of the big screen, which has been alleged by one of the managers, I believe, um, you know, obviously have to be careful what we say about that, but but has been alleged by one of the managers. They've unilaterally <laughs> instituted VAR in, in, in League One and should be suspended pending an investigation for that. You can't do that. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, it, it just can be, you know, it's, it's ludicrous. I mean, it's not even maybe the most bizarre decision this season, which would maybe the referee making up rules about postponement at Ipswich versus Oxford. But, but this is, this is, you know, this is mad. I mean, if, if, if that is what has happened, that is mad and, and, and should be investigated, not rewarded with two championship games. Obviously, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily see that in real time. That is, that is allegations that have been made. I actually thought, though, the worst decision of the game was the Tyreek Wright one based on what I saw. And unless we have missed something, like he was offside earlier in the move, he is quite literally just blown up because the bloke has pulled his leg and gone down in a heap. There is nothing wrong. It is an embarrassment. It's not, it's, 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 it's honestly from what I saw again, if I've missed something, I apologize. It is the most baffling decision I've ever seen in a football stadium. I just, I cannot understand how they have arrived at that decision. Um, unless he was offside way earlier in the move, in which case maybe you know, the free kick should have been taken miles forward of where it was. So we have to assume it was, it was offside where the free kick was taken from. Or, or given as a foul. I think I think Joe is right that it was given as offside. But it was you know, the guy he did not touch, did not touch Callum Patterson, Tyreek Wright. And he was miles behind him when, when the move started, as far as I could see. Uh, Joe, do you want to jump back in on, on that? Yeah, just very yeah. Just before you finish your run, I just want to jump in and continue mine. Um, and it's all to do with the Cooper injury. I'm not accusing Josh Windass of deliberately injuring Mike Cooper because I think it was a genuine effort to play the ball, and Cooper just lands awkwardly. But the fact that the keeper is actually knocked off his feet as he's in the air challenging for the ball and we didn't end up with a free kick out of that situation is quite frankly embarrassing because the ref because the ref the keeper needs supporting and he wasn't supported there. And then Michael Smith does exactly the same thing to Callum Burton towards the end of the half and he doesn't even play an advantage when Burton's got hold of the ball. I have ne- I'm going to stop talking about the referee now because I'm going to bat a burst of blood vessel in my head. But I have never seen anything like him or his team of officials on Saturday. I was actually going to come on to that going in reverse order. So to my mind, Josh Windass has clearly fouled Michael Cooper. And I, I personally think it's dangerous play. Um, again, you know, I think the, the ball is there to be played. But to me, he's bodied him. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a booking, probably certainly a free kick. The, the, I believe it's Michael Smith one that happened on Burton 
after that is much worse because unlike the Windass one that was kind of 50-50, Burton was miles ahead of Smith and Smith has just run through and taken him out. That, after your keeper has already gone off injured, the referee has to go over, make an example of that and say, no, you're not going to do that because that is dangerous play and that's how the previous keeper has done his ACL. And and, and, it's a, and it's a yellow card for me because I thought it was a really, really late, nasty, you know, dig in the ribs. And and the fact he's just played on from that is, is astonishing. Um, maybe green-tinted spectacles. I don't really buy the idea that he was equally bad towards both teams. I thought he was worse towards us. Again, if you don't agree that that goal should have been disallowed, uh, then fair enough. Obviously, that's probably the biggest single decision in the game in terms of the, the result. I personally thought it was the correct decision, even if it was arrived at through a you know in, in a kamikaze way. Um, I felt like he let them cheat and time waste and kick balls away and kick our players for pretty much the entire ninety minutes. Um, again, I want to be very clear: I don't think it massively affected the result somehow, but I thought it was embarrassing, um, and I thought it was a real shame because it otherwise would have been a game could have been a game that would have been a good advert for. Well, you don't think Wednesday particularly played in a way that's a good advert for League One football, but you know, in terms of the competitiveness of it, it could have been a good advert for League One football. He completely, he and the officials of the team completely, completely lost control of the game, um, and it is, a, it's a crying, crying shame. Um, and and the something- one thing, the one thing that neither fan base wanted going to Hillsborough on Saturday was the game to be spoiled. And for me. Right. Part of the enjoyment of the game, I, I did still in, I did still enjoy the 118 minutes or however bloody long it was the afternoon went on for, <laughs> but I I did at you know I did feel there was an element of the game that was spoiled by the officiating because it was so stop start and so needlessly stop start at times it it quite frankly was a disgrace. But Aaron, if you want to change subject now because I'm bored of talking about referees and I'm sure everyone's bored of hearing about me talk about the referee. I don't believe. I don't believe you. The, the only the only caveat I've I'd raised it in the first half. It wasn't stop start enough in the first half. He didn't let everything go, and in the second half, he went from one sort of ludicrous extreme to the other. It was. I mean, I can't really add much more to what you said. It was just a shocking, shocking refereeing performance. I think first half, I, I you know, I didn't think it was terrible. Um, but then when I watched some of the decisions back, I realised how they really were terrible. Second half, he just escalated. He completely lost all control of the game. I think the turning point was probably uh, the Cooper injury going unpunished. I think it. I don't think the Windass won the yellow card. I think he's. He, it's a bit reckless that he's trying to win the ball. I think it is a free kick. The Smith one. I, I think the Smith one. I think is a free kick and a yellow card. I think he flies in on Burton. You know, like like, like a torpedo. He he doesn't have any regard towards the safety of Burton. I still don't think even that one is malicious, but I think it's reckless and careless. And I think that definitely deserves a punishment of the yellow. And the fact that didn't happen, um, yeah, just set the tone for the rest of the game. And it set the tone for all of the uh, ridiculousness that followed. Uh, and then obviously that little tussle that never, nobody got booked again. Same thing. Very, very poor refereeing performance. And Whatever his assessor must have given him in the report, I, I, I'd, I'd have hoped it was a bad report. But given that he's got given a couple of championship games, maybe it wasn't such a bad report. But who knows? I usually don't um, slate referees or officials, mainly because I can't really be bothered. If I could, I wouldn't do it. I don't think us, any four of us, would go and be a ref. And I think if you want better refs, play in a better league. But then you realise. He's a championship ref, which makes it ludicrous. That's absolutely mad. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. People have difficult jobs. Lots of people have difficult jobs. And they get and they get criticised when they make mistakes. It, this idea that, like, I understand, like, within the framework of the game, disincentivizing managers from undermining the credibility of the game willy-nilly every time they lose and they want to pin it on someone else is fine. But it seems like, you know, these days, <laughs> it seems like you can't say anything about the referee, you know, and, like... I'm doing a, a sort of bit, but like even you know, at the same time, it's true. You know, it's it's a, it's a privilege to have that job as well as being as well as being difficult. And and you know, he did it very badly on Saturday, unfortunately. I'm never, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. That's that's what I was getting at. Is that I don't normally criticise, but this like, Saturday was just incredibly. It was woeful to the point where it's like just have to laugh at every decision. And you're like, Wednesday should have put us to bed. Realistically, they should have been could have been two three up. And I would have loved to see that snatch one in the in the hundred eleventh minute or whatever it was. So that was good. Um, obviously, we've got familiar foes in Portsmouth up next. Chris Errington, who's already had a mention. Hello, Chris. 
report is that Argyle are set for their 10th 15,000 plus attendance at home park in League One this season when they play Portsmouth on Saturday. Uh, any thoughts pre-match? What's needed to bounce back? Surely it's guaranteed 2-2. Obviously, Joe, you had a chat with our friends over at PO4 Pod. What, what was the mood in their camp? Um, I'm, I saved them a lot of time by just saying that it was going to finish 2-2 and we just waffled on for a bit. No, I didn't. Um, what's the mood in their camp? Uh, I, can I, think... believe I can believe that's what happened. In in all fa- in all fairness, um, they're they're a really good bunch, and um, it's obviously going to be well worth a listen when it comes out. Um, and they're going to tune into ours. They're under no illusions that they're coming to a ground that the home side have only been meeting once at all year. Um, whilst they don't expect Portsmouth to set up for a point and park the bus, as it were, um, I think if you offered every Portsmouth fan a point now they'd probably snap your hand off for it. Um, I wouldn't um, because we're at home. The onus is on us. We have to now go out there and right the wrongs of Saturday's first half. And it is, look, you don't, you shouldn't big up games more than they should be. It is, this weekend is absolutely massive with Sheffield Wednesday playing Ipswich it is absolutely imperative that we get a positive result here because we need to get that point back that Ipswich took off us last week. Um, and with Derby coming up in the wings and them having to go to our good friends at Wickham on Saturday, we have got to pick up a result this weekend. Um, what did they say? They say they're going to play 4-3-3. Um, I presume they would have just sat in with John Messino and they're giving me all their tactical information. Um, they're going to play 4-3-3, um, the midfield three of Pack, Morel and Tony Cliff will essentially try and run the show. Um, but I did warn them that unless they stop Jay Matete, they are in for a hell of a long afternoon. Um essentially, um, because if they allow us any time or space with him in possession, it's all over for them. Um, I expect us to go back to our free-flowing attacking best here. We have to put on a show. We have to be aggressive. We have to be positive. And we have to win. It's it's as simple as that, in my opinion. Yeah, I I would say, um, and I know we're kind of uh, jumping ahead a bit here, but after a very tough, you know, Group, uh, grouping of games. We've now got three games in a row against mid-table sides, which are where we have generally tended to excel this season. We're home to Pompey, away to Oxford on the Tuesday, then we're home to Fleetwood again the following Saturday. I would be hoping for at the very least, very, very least six points out of that. Really, ideally seven or nine. I think in, the, in those kind of games, you accept you might slip up in one of the three. You certainly don't want to slip up in two or more of the three. Um, Getting that win against Pompey would be a big psychological barrier. It's always a bit of needle in the game, and it would be very good just to show we can win without Cooper and Scar. Obviously, logically, we know we can win without Cooper and Scar, but the longer it goes until we get that win without those two in, the more and more panic might start to set in. I think it would be a big, big, big game to win. Um, but let's not underestimate Pompey. Since Rossini's come in, they've been good. They've got two wins, one draw and one defeat, which... Doesn't sound amazing, but the defeat was against Peterborough, who've won something like the last three or last four. And the draw was away to Barnsley, who are also a good side. So in that context, two wins, one draw and a loss does look pretty good for them. Yeah, but Sam, look at who their wins came against. That's all I'll mm, say. True, true. Also also true, but it's certainly... But getting the away draw at Barnsley, I don't think it's for something that for a minute would have happened under their previous um, manager. And I think... Ultimately, their squad man for man is still pretty good. Is it as good as the Ipswich Derby Sheffield Wednesday? Absolutely not. But it's still a pretty good squad, I think. Um, it's certainly not a squad as you anything like where they are in the league. And I think whether, you know, Messina was a very left field, very unusual appointment. Whether it turns out to be a justified appointment, I guess we will, we will be yet to see. But so far, I think he seems to be getting a little bit more of a tune out of that squad than Danny Cowley did. And obviously, hopefully... That won't continue in Saturday. Hopefully, we can we can turn them over. I think let's not underestimate them because if Mourinho does turn out to be a good first time manager, like obviously Schumacher did, if he does turn out to be a good first time manager, that squad is a very capable squad that he can get something out of and he can turn into a good team. So, yes, they're mid table, but it's it's still going to be a tough game. Um, and let's just hope we can we, we can beat them and get that um, get that psychological barrier passed. 
It, it is continuing that amazing run that we've had this season, that I believe I've mentioned before on this podcast, of playing almost every team at a bad time. Um, couldn't We couldn't have played Pompey when they were rubbish. Um, you know, we played them at the top of the league at Fratton Park, and now we're playing them where they're having, a, you know, at the very least, a modest new manager bounce. Um, they, were, they were absolutely diabolical at the end of the Cowley era. Would have been very nice to play them during that time and still drawn to all. Um, but you know, it's 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 you know, it just is it just beggars belief how many sides we played when they've been on an upswing in form this season or, or in a good place who have not necessarily been super consistent over the whole season. Um, you know, I'm looking at the fixtures now. Oxford have MK Dons away on Saturday, so they'll probably batter MK Dons going into their game against us because they have been absolutely diabolical recently as well. Um, you know, it'd be nice if Oxford could maybe go into our game on, on a poor, really, really poor run of form. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, I, for me, it's a huge banana skin. Sorry to say it. Um, I actually don't think we need to win the game. Uh, I think we've got a bit of a bit of leeway. We can still go up. We're going to drop points over, over the course of the, over the course of the rest of the season, and, and I think there'll be twists and turns to come. I wouldn't throw in the towel if we lose to Portsmouth on Saturday. But as Sam said, I think they are much better on paper than they've been the performances they've been putting in. I think they are a Barnsley, Peterborough tier type side who should really be in that playoff pack, playoff you know chasing pack at the very least. Um, I think, yeah, like I said, having a bit of a new manager bounce. Um, and and it's Portsmouth, and <laughs> like we don't beat them very often. Obviously, did last year, and and you know we'd be the definitely the favourites to win it again this year. I'm not not saying we're not, but you know with with the Cooper and Scar kind of blows as well psychologically. I just do wonder if it's a if it's a banana skin. That being you know, all that being said, I don't, I don't think a point would be necessarily the worst result in the world coming out of the game. Um, but um, yeah, a, a win would be would be huge. As long as we win two out of the next three in some way, fine. Um, like I say, we can slip up in one of that. You know, of course we're going to drop points. We can slip up in one of that three. We we, we don't really don't want to slip up in two or more of that three. So, well, however they come, you know, if if we if we lose to Pompey, but then go and back the fleet with an Oxford, that's that's fine. But we just can't get stuck in a rut. Do you get enough um, referee content or? Um, I'm sure we could do some more. I'm sure we could do some more. There was a few questions I was going to ask about Hillsborough and how their 33,000 crowd was really good, but their PA was just far too loud. What I will say um, is I made this point to a few people after the weekend because um, Saturday was my first visit to Hillsborough. Um, and I remember standing in the away end at Anfield listening to 50,000 people saying, you'll never walk alone. And I was there on Saturday listening to 30,000 people saying hi, ho, silver lining. I actually felt more intimidated listening to 30,000 people saying hi, ho, silver lining than I did 50,000 people singing you'll never walk alone. That created more of a hostile atmosphere and got you really thinking, crikey, this is a big game than listening to 50,000 scousers sing that song. So um, fair play to them. It was, you know, it was a decent atmosphere. Um, it was obviously a big game backed up by 33,000 people, wasn't it? And um, that was a pretty special... It's just a shame it went flat afterwards. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, it's it, like it, we, it, we can all bash out the Jammer song, but if we're, if we're not going to sing for 90 minutes, then... Haven't we had this problem at home? Haven't you guys been talking about this problem at home part of the last couple of games? So, um, as I, said, I, I made the point on the last pod, maybe it's just the pressure of where the fan bases are in the table at this stage of the season that's yielding that... Um, but yeah, it was pretty special listening to High Hill Silver Lining, although I never want to hear it again. I think I want to end today's pod, by the way, on a piece of on, on a positive spin note after after we've been moaning for most of it, which is a result that looks far, far better in hindsight than it did at the time. Our 5-1 FA Cup defeat to Grimsby Town, because tonight, as we record this, Grimsby Town are into the fifth round of the FA Cup now after beating Championship Luton 3-0 at home. So whatever is in the water in, in Grimsby fish yeah <laughs> yeah uh, lots of fish i think um they are on an unbelievable run in the FA Cup this season and, and obviously you know uh it's been nice to play a part in this in their success um so... we scored past them. as much as the parallel universe would have been fun well we're not recording the podcast but we're watching us beat newton in three nil that would have been great fun but probably the inevitable injuries to mumbra and Azaz wouldn't have been so fun so yeah i'm happy the way things are on balance it's it's famously haddock not cod right in those parts it is. 
And, and Aaron, Aaron and Joel look forward to hearing you on the Grimsby Town fan podcast uh, to discuss uh, our performance against them earlier in the season, given how much demand you seem to be in for other, other <laughs> uh, podcasts. We have lots of demand, actually, but they just get hidden in the DMs on Twitter where it doesn't actually tell you you've got a DM. So that's good. Always check. Nice. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Aaron. All right. Cheers. With that brings a close to another Green and White pod brought to you by Argyle Life. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, like on Facebook and keep up to date with all things Argyle by checking out www.argyle.life. As always with all listens, old and new, we really appreciate if you could leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. Every rating helps us beat that algorithm. See you next week. Nothing else happened. I, I can't keep a straight face. You're going to have to edit, you're going to have to edit this out. <laughs>